Hey y'all, welcome to Truth's Table, midwives of culture for grace and truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. I'm Christina. How are y'all doing today? Well, <laughs> <laughs> pretty good for, you know, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's Monday, it's Monday over here, so that's kind of my, kind of my Sabbath, and um, it's snowing in St. Louis. Yeah, Yesterday was my son's birthday, Yay. so it's it's a really chill. It's a really chill time. I am wearing a bathrobe right now, just for <laughs> disclosure. I'm wearing a bathrobe and a headscarf. I lied. Please, nobody, no, never, no video podcast ever. That's okay. We'll have advance notice. Advance notice. Right. advance notice. Okay, before we'll that surprises happens. For the That's Hilarious. Hilarious. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. How about you, Christina? Yeah, doing pretty good. I, I, I res- that resonates with me too, Michelle, because it is snowing here in Grand Rapids. Mm. And um, I'm kind of done with snow. So mm. little little bitter about that. But uh, <laughs> so I have on some snow boots actually is what I'm wearing. Right <laughs> <laughs> and I would prefer not to, actually. But yeah, besides that, doing really well. Monday is also kind of like our Sabbath around here. My husband's a pastor and so we tend to go hard on Sundays, and so uh, right. I take off work on Mondays, and so that we can just kind of chill a bit. So, oh, yeah, that's okay. what's happening. Good, good, good. What's happening with you, Akemini? Well, you know, it is Monday, and I don't know. We've had a weird winter, you know, so it's been really warm mm-hmm. in February, and then we're supposed to have this huge snowstorm coming on uh, Tuesday, and we had some snow early this week, so... Winter's on CP time here in Philly, and I'm like, why? Why is this happening? <laughs> and so <laughs> it's the middle of March. Like, come on, we're ready to move on, and it just won't let go. Decides to go. show up now, you know. So, mm-hmm. but hey, I got my health. The Lord woke me up this morning, and yeah, you know. So I can't complain. I cannot mm-hmm. complain. So, uh, so yeah. So I love sitting at the table. Um, with y'all and I am excited about the table that's on I'm sorry on the topic that's on the table today Mm -hmm. and that is the church so over the course of about five to seven years there has been a few research studies and countless articles op-eds and blog posts written by a host of people Mm -hmm. uh, including millennials I'm talking about uh, uh, people leaving the church And now there are numerous reasons why people are leaving the church in America. Some cite the abuses of the church. Others believe they don't need to belong to a local body in order to have a relationship with God. So ladies, let's talk. Given the fact that some of our peers are leaving the church, what is the church and why do you choose to stay? So before we can really answer the why, Mm -hmm. uh, we got to get down to what the what is. What is the church? Mm. Well, just universally, I mean, in terms of pulling from scripture, right? The church uh-huh. is community um, for for many of us. They are people chosen to do work in reflection and in mission. So let's go hardcore. I got an MDiv, so I'm going to use the word prefigure. Um, <laughs> we are... <laughs> Because that's what that affords you right there. <laughs> right, right. I paid that money. I sat in them classes. That's it. Come on. And I'm going to use them words to proclaim and prefigure, that says the Lord, right? This uh, this kingdom that is at hand is now and, and yet to come. We are supposed to be um, the proclamation of such and the reflection of the same. So, and how do we do that, I think, is what we will launch into, but... Uh, yeah. Biblically, the idea is that our love for each other will be the thing that informs people of what they can expect from being a part of our community. So it's a community that proclaims and prefigures, and mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. that testimony itself comes from the quality of of our treatment for each other. I think it's really important to to drive back to the different catechisms that you know that we all have learned or that we've at least studied because, you know, Mm -hmm. we're going to launch into some stuff that ain't going to be comfy. So Mm -hmm. I think it Mm -hmm. is a good idea to start out with, with what the church is. Right. That's good. Thank you so much for that. Throwing out Mm -hmm. that prefigure. 
let's mm-hmm. let's use those big words, right? You pay for yes, it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what what is the church uh to you? How do you, you know, define it? Yeah, so I see the church as the household of God mm-hmm. and um that we have been baptized into. So mm-hmm. we're baptized in into Christ and we are um and all the believers representative of the global historical and Catholic church (laughs) um, have all been baptized into Christ together. Um, And so the church and in that sense, this most kind of spiritual sense is the household of God. And then there's uh, I think an additional conversation about what is the local church, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, because I think people will have this, this tension point of feeling like, well, yeah, you know, I'm a part of like the, the uh, spiritual church, the household of God, but they at times are disconnected from the local church. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, which I would say that, you know, I don't uh, affirm Christianity at large. We're baptized <laughs> into Christ with each other. And so mm-hmm. um, the local church is incredibly important uh, to the narrative of the household of God. So those things are deeply interconnected. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Yep. And then I yeah. And then later on, we could talk about you know why the local church. You can dive into that because I think that's yeah. important. I think that's that's kind of what's really being you know um, assailed kind of right now um, mm-hmm. for legitimate and in some illegitimate uh, reasons, which I hope that we will be able to um, delve into. Uh, I think from my part regarding the church, uh, it's it's not merely a social institution, mm-hmm. though it is that. It is also a spiritual organism that's cared for, guarded by, and kept by the triune God. So the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and the church is comprised you know, of those who have been called by God, effectually mm-hmm. called by God before the foundations of the world. Um, and the Bible refers to the church, as you said, you guys have picked up on this already, as the body of Christ, uh, the beloved, the bride of Christ, you know, which is why the scriptures refer to the church as her or she, right? Because we are actually Christ's bride. And so uh, I think it's, so it's interesting when we see these stats and things like that, um, in one sense, it doesn't necessarily tell the whole picture or the full story because, because the church is a social organism, just because even if the church was like flourishing, you had tons and tons of, you know, people in the church, that doesn't necessarily always mean, you know, that the church is like doing so very well. Cause like, what, what are they hearing? Uh, what are they flocking to and why are they flocking to? So you have to kind of, mm-hmm. it, it's a nuanced uh, kind of conversation, but I think it is important for our listeners to know that we are talking about the church in America because that's yes. the context that we are in. Yes. Uh, this, we're yeah. born and raised in America that we are Americans. And so I want people to know, um, to understand that. And, and also picking up on the fact that there is a visible and an invisible church, which, um, Michelle and Christina just alluded to. So the visible church is, um, the body of believers that we actually see on a Sunday, on a Sunday, you know, um, every week or even just nationally. Right. Um, but the invisible church is the church as God sees it. He knows who Mm. are, who are his, right? And so um, Matthew 25, Jesus talks about how the goat and the sheep and the wheat and the tares, they grow together. So not everybody that's actually gathered into the visible um, local church are actually saved uh, believers. So just because you have a profession of faith doesn't necessarily mean that you have a possession of faith. Mm. And so, um, and so I want, I do want to make that um, clear for people, you know, so that we know. So the universal church includes our brothers and sisters in Sudan, in Korea, North Korea, um, in Syria, you know, um, in the outermost parts in Ethiopia, everywhere. That's the universal church, but really only Christ knows who, um, are, are actually gathered in that. And so I think that's, I think that's a good way for us to start out on exactly what the church is. Um, and, and then we can dive into like, why? So why the church, like in light of, this election in why the church in America, let me say that why the church in America in light of what has been going on, you know, uh, with say the election, uh, where, where are we positionally? I'd say the three of us, um, in this whole milieu. And then we could talk about, you know, why do we stay committed to the church in light of everything that's going on? So any of y'all can jump in on that, but I think it's important for our listeners to hear this from our perspective. Why the church? Mm-mm. I think it's also important to 
to bring out, I like the household of God that Christina mm-hmm. brought out because it sort of boils down to another word that uh, people are some uncomfortable or more comfortable with using, which is family. Yeah. And I don't get to choose my family, <laughs> no matter. Yeah, yep. Oh, no matter, no matter. Yeah. <laughs> How hard I try. Um, I don't, I don't have the power to select my family. And part of the reason that I, I stay committed to the church is the same reason that I'm committed to uh, being a witness of God's word and God's truth outside of the church. And that is, I don't know who is in my family. I don't, I don't know which of the people I work with outside of the sanctuary are actually going to be part if they are not called already and just don't know it yet. I don't know who God's elect is. So we do have to say that, yeah, we're looking around and we see this visible and invisible church and we admit uh, Mm -hmm. to holding loosely the people that we crown or that we define as um, God's people. or we, We hold loosely the presumption that we can do that. But I think that I I also stay in the church because I have to be consistently ready to love and support people who are both like me and who do not like me. Hmm. And I still have to be able to call them family or else what what is my witness in asking other people to trust me, to, to understand that there is no subject, no issue that can't be won out by love, loving each other, by being truthful to each other, and really by going before the throne of grace. Why the church, for me especially, it could be personal, it could be more common. Uh, I, I am committed to supporting my family any way that I can. And that mm-hmm. commitment really is the only opportunity that I have to also challenge in the times in which I feel we are not being faithful. I have never thought, I don't think anybody has ever supported the idea that no relationship ahead of time gives anybody the right to correct, to argue with, or to call out. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be a communing member, not only because I want the right to call us out, but so that if and when the time comes, there will be the presumption or at least the receipts that I am doing this out of a hope to see us do better, out Mm -hmm. of a hope to see us flourish, out of a hope to see us truly reflect the gospel that we say sustains us. So I stay in the church um, for all of those reasons. And of course, not the least of which, because ain't no better music really out there. (laughs) Come on. Than what what our people wrote long ago. That's only. I don't know. I don't know if none of these artists would have what they had. If it wasn't for the church. So the, <laughs> the artistic impulse there is something that I think the church is uh, slowly losing. And if you notice yeah. a problem, if you see a problem, you don't run from it. You try to participate in the solution. And I believe yeah. that as we, the people who worship the creator should be the most creative people. Um, there's a few pe- different people who've, who've said that as well. So I want to lift up that I'm not the person that brought that up, but. We definitely have an opportunity to create under God, to be his little creators. And I stay in the yeah. church because I am nothing unless somebody else is sharpening me. Yeah, mm. that's really good. Thank you for that. Yeah. What about you, C? Yeah, I would say, um, so that, that portion, Michelle, that you kind of um, lifted up about that this is a family. Mm-hmm. I think that's the very thing that makes the church so provocative. Mm-hmm. And it makes it so painful when the church gets it wrong. Mm-hmm. So whereas the disappointment that we have from a coworker, a colleague, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> someone that we're a part of maybe a social club or organization with, it is it is so much deeper because it, it the church hurt really is a family hurt, even right. if we don't conceptualize it that way. And that's why the disappointment is so profound and that's why it's easy just to kind of cut off and become estranged from family that we have um that we've experienced deep trauma from we're just kind of like i'm just not gonna i'm just bye like you don't exist anymore Mm -hmm. so um 
so I think that's one of the things that makes the church uh, so provocative. The other thing I would say for me um, that makes me feel compelled um, and honored to be a part of the, the church is that the church is where we have we receive the means of grace. And by those means of grace, I'm, I'm alluding to things like um, baptism and uh, communion <laughs> and to be reminded of the body broken for me. Uh, the blood shed for me and not just for me as in like Western individualistic Christian model, but no, the, the body broken, the blood shed for us, for we, for the family. It's, it's very unifying. And then going before that table, knowing that or having some, some insight as God gives us the ability to see to the weight of our own sin and brokenness, Mm -hmm. but to know that that meal is still extended to me and to my brothers and sisters in Christ um, it, it forces me, uh, to not get too high minded about my own, my own Mm -hmm. status and my own, you know, weak moral chops. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm reminded in those moments that I'm surrounded by broken people and I'm chief among those broken people. Mm -hmm. Um, but together our Lord has given us something that is making us whole and complete and making us one. Um, so, so that's one of the beautiful elements for me of, of the local church that I'm drawn to, even despite the reality that sometimes there's very deep family conflict and, and family pain. Um, so I get why people might want to run away from that. How about you, Akemini? Oh, yeah, no, thanks so much. That was really, really good. I think um, I have so many, so many thoughts, but I think, I think when it comes down to it, fundamentally, I'm thinking, why the church? Mm-hmm. Because Jesus Christ left his father's side to come to earth to enclose, wrap himself in flesh and to die for her. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Like he died for the church. He died for me. He died for you individually, but also collectively for a body mm-hmm. um, and, and to, to redeem us, you know, and bring us into right fellowship with him. And I think that's something that uh, I, I, I can't lose sight of. And so I have to often be reminded, uh, preach the gospel to myself every single day, um, knowing that it was my sins, you know, that killed Jesus, that I was the one numbered among the people, you know, yelling crucify, you know, crucify him. Um, and so I, I have to share in that guilt in order to share in his grace, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's something I have to always constantly remind myself about. Um, but not only that, I think sometimes when people, talk about the church. Well, they say, well, the church was only in the New Testament. Actually, it wasn't. Um, the church was actually in the <laughs> right. Old Testament. And to me, sure. any, if we're going to make a biblical argument for the church and church membership, then I always believe that argu- arguments need to made, be made from the whole Bible, you know, from the All Council right. of Scripture. So All Old right. Testament and New Testament, because there's organic unity um, between um, both the old and the new, you know, so, um, so, so I'm thinking about Exodus 19, you know, where the Lord, um, uh, Yahweh met with the people, you know, in Exodus 19 mm-hmm. and, um, he calls Moses to consecrate the people, you know, um, before they can, before they can come to him, you know, and you have that reality there of, we know that the Israelites, they weren't, not all of them were true, uh, were true Israel, right? What, what Paul would say, you know, mm-hmm. but you see, you see, um, God coming down on, in a cloud in, in Mount Sinai. You see Moses there. You have the elders there, right? And you have his whole host, heavenly host, um, uh, coming with God, you know, to meet with the people. And so we're seeing a, a, a prefiguring, you know, as you said, Michelle, and a foretaste of what happens in Revelation, you know, um, seven and what's going to happen, right? In the new heavens and the new earth. And the reality is that as, as crazy as the church looks in America, this is the only institution that will not fall no matter what, you know, it's God will keep his church. Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Not one political party is going to sully her. It's not, it's not going to take her out (laughs) on the left or the right. Okay. No, not going to, no, no, nobody's going to take her out. Not even white supremacy and racism is going to take her out. Thank you, God. That's important for me to remember, um, particularly in our, in my work. And so, so I I think about all of that because I'm like, Lord, sometimes you you get frustrated, right? Um, particularly even, even in our ministries, because I think, uh, like, as you said, Michelle, like 
being committed to this family of believers, it does give us the right to correct her. Mm-hmm. you know, to, to chastise, to sharpen, you know, and I, it, which reminds me of, um, a quote from Frederick, Frederick Douglass, when he said that for, he is a lover of his country who rebukes and does not excuse its sins. The mm-hmm. same thing with the church. It is because of love, you know, that we compel her, you know, and we exhort her, you know, to, to become what she is redeemed. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, and we are being progressively sanctified, sanctified. And I think this is what's so hard for unbelievers to to bear the hypocrisy. And it's why I struggle with that, the the hypocrisy where it's like, man, we're not walking in line. Like this gospel is not shining forth because of our acts and our deeds. Right. Um, But the reality is that, man, we we have been perfected, but we are being perfected. It's Mm -hmm. it is a process. Um, And so I'm committed to the church because Jesus Christ is committed to me. Mm-hmm. And he is committed to his church and he loves her to death mm-hmm. and to life, you know? Um, and, and so I think, so, so for me, I'm always looking at that big picture, you know? And then I think about the saints, you know, all in the universal church, you know, who are suffering, who take their own lives into their hands when they go to gather with the saints, okay. the saints in Egypt, the saints in, um, uh, and in Israel, the saints in Syria, the saints in Sudan, the states all over the world, North Korea, who take their lives into their hands just to gather Mm -hmm. with the saints, to hear the scriptures, to worship Jesus Christ. That is a very scandalous thing, you know, where, where they live. And, 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 and I think in some ways we really, we take that for granted. I know I do. And I have to continually, I need to do better at thinking about our saints, you know, across the world who are uh, suffering in order to serve Jesus Christ, whom we can serve so freely out here um, in America. And so, so I'm committed to the church because Jesus Christ loves her, you know, and, and if you love Jesus and you love what he loves, that's it. You love what he loves and it's not easy, Lord knows, but, mm-hmm. but you remain committed to her, you know, um, and, and, and you, you, you have to, be long suffering. You know, these are the fruits of the spirit here. You know, we have to be patient. We can't work that stuff out with perfect people and none of us are perfect, you know? And so I think for me, it kills my pride in a very major way. Um, when I think about my own sinfulness, you know, so be gracious to me, oh Lord, a sinner. I think about that, you know, every Sunday I have to go, I make a declaration when I leave this house and I lock my door and I walk out to my car I'm declaring to the world that I am a sinner in need of grace. Mm. Every time I walk into that building, I am saying, I am gathering with God's uh, called out people, his elect exiles to declare to the world that I am in need of God's grace and I am not any better than anybody else. And I, and and we could do, I wish we could do a better job of really showing that, you know, um, more, more clearly. I think that's something that, I think that's probably why people do also depart from the church. Absolutely. I mean, but yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? You know? I think it's important first to acknowledge the, the problems that, that we're delving into here start a yeah. little bit because we don't have a running really healthy fundamental uh, depiction of the church in the United States. And most yeah. likely that is because the yeah. church in the United States was, was planted majority for the mm-hmm. purpose of encouraging and really reaffirming racial division. Yeah. It was planted in, in thought and in theory because there were not enough religious freedoms, you know, for people to worship as, as they chose. Mm-hmm. But as dominance and subdominance became more of the theological game, churches really began to divide and began to exist in large part because the desire to be dominant, which is going to be carried through all time, of course, all broken existence, this whole broken reality, dominance is a big issue, but churches began to exist, at least in part the black church existed because the experience of disunity was stronger than and more important than the experience of the unity that was hard fought and ultimately won by our savior. And so the church has a lot of work to do in order to be renewed. And I would say revived 
straying away. You know, I got the Pentecostal root, so I believe in the revival of reminding ourselves of the truth, despite the fact that we're going to try to run from God. We're going to try to build a church in which we can blatantly run from God, but we can't get away from the truth that many of us are in spaces that were founded because of division. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's work to do there. And so first we have to bring out that the church itself is not built out of the reality of the unity that the Lord won for us. It is yeah. built because of a national reality, a national identity that we are proof texting scripture to per- to perpetuate, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the old folks would say we perpetrating a fraud. And I believe that one of the reasons that Christians who have that experience that you so poignantly laid out a kimini people who have that experience i'm a sinner i need salvation i need to confess i need to be reassured i need to be united with my family across the globe those christians it is our responsibility to enter into churches who were who would say our founders had all of the best intentions it's our responsibility to enter into Mm. those spaces and to remind one another and ourselves that the experience of receiving God's sacraments, his to, to receive the manner in which the Lord administers his grace to us physically is the reality that helps us to survive the brokenness that we experience outside of the sanctuary. And that means that the church has a lot of work to do to testify to that reality in spite of all of the awkwardness, the mess, and the fake, the things we're covering that we're being fake about, in spite of having to deal with all that and all of the pain that comes with tearing down those walls, we have to begin to testify that worshiping at the throne of a God who exists in three persons, in three non-arrogant persons, we have to begin to testify that that is what reality is. That is what power is. Because we have accidentally planted, and I'm saying localized, um, a number of different local churches are planting and perpetuating the idea that because they are right, they can't get along with anyone who doesn't agree with them 100%. When the truth is, Jesus isn't going to let us get away from participating in communion. I mean from actually beginning to see ourselves as ready to die for one another the same way we would claim to be ready to die for the Lord. I'm supposed to lay down my life for these jokers that don't agree with me completely? Mm-hmm. My only opportunity is to live in a reality in which my superpower, the God that I worship, the God that I bow down before, has done the very same thing for his enemies. He has done that ultimate thing for the people who were at odds with him. He chose them anyway. He died for them anyway. He endured shame and despising anyway. He was murdered for the purpose of seeing those who participated in his murder (laughs) brought to his table. And so I think to be reminded of that example as the the new reality, the real authority is in our humble communion with one another. That is that is really the only way that we can begin to identify one, the reason that people are walking away because they have been promised and taught and it's been modeled to them through different good examples of Christianity, that that's what they should be able to expect. And then when they don't see that, when they don't receive the love, the embrace, the appreciation that the church should bring them, they struggle to reconcile these two realities that should be a lot more different than they are. Whereas now we find ourselves showing up in church and having to do the same competitive process that we would have to do in corporate America. Why is that? I believe in part, in large part, it is because We have not absorbed the true example of authority 
that our own creator God has given us, that our own redeemer God has given us, that our own comforter and guide, the Holy Spirit of God has given us. We're not absorbing the truth of what our own deity has expressed in us, through us, and towards us. And so that breakdown is happening in part because we don't know how to define the church ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, there's another piece of the church that um, the local, you know, the local church and that I did not grow up experiencing in a formalized way, but have grown to really appreciate. And that's actually church discipline. Oh, yeah. And I believe firmly that some of the things that we're dealing with today and even historically are consequences, mm. not exercising biblical church discipline. And so, mm. I mean, I've, I've said to people joking, jokingly, but not completely jokingly, that, you know, it should not have taken a war to end slavery. It That's should have right. taken church discipline. Mm-hmm. It should have been, no, of course you cannot participate in human trafficking. Of course mm-hmm. you cannot Mm-hmm. Sell our sister in Christ's children away. I mean, that's a talk about a church discipline issue. Um, yeah. and, but but never approached in that way. As a matter of fact, we had the opposite happen, right? We have people lifting up the doctrine of spirituality in a way that said, no, you can't touch these issues. And we still okay. have that today. It is it is the um it is the most dismissive sin when we get into issues related to what Galatians 3.28 lifts up. We talk about race, class, and gender, right? Those mm-hmm. things are like, ah, no big deal. But those are the very things that Paul is lifting up that we need to guard the church against. Um, and, and, and in guarding that is really guarding the church against uh, really profound forms of legalism, right? right. So bigotry for the Christian is a form of legalism. It mm-hmm. is Jesus and my white supremacy. It is Jesus and my middle-class status. It is Jesus and my male privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's a problem. And church discipline, lift, opening the word of God, obeying the word of God, um, and pursuing people with the grace of church discipline, because church discipline's uh, is also a means of grace <laughs> to us. Mm-hmm. Someone says to you privately, you know, this doesn't seem to line up with um, your witness, and I love you, and mm-hmm. I want to I want to talk to you about it, and I want us to to illuminate these things to each other. But that we don't see that happening enough, and so people rightfully feel vulnerable and afraid of the church because they don't feel like it's a place where they are going to be safe. That's and I good. think some of that is because we have not used. Uh, Biblical church discipline. I, I can think of a number of people that I've counseled who've had um, experiences of abuse yeah. at the hands of people in the local church. That's and right. not only did they, did they not intervene from a legal standpoint, which would have been more than appropriate to do, right. um, but they also did not intervene from a church discipline standpoint. Instead, mm-hmm. in many cases, people were, t- were too often told um, it was a misuse of the doctrine of forgiveness. You know, you just need to let that go, right? Uh-huh. right, right. Without, without any acknowledgement of the sin or any uh, expectation of repentance. So no one was giving, giving grace. The person who was um, mistreated, they weren't given the grace of knowing that they are valuable and precious and can be protected by the local church. Mm-hmm. And the person who was the accuser was not given the grace of having the spotlight put upon that sin so that they might repent fully from it, right? Which includes yeah. expressions of justice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really believe because of a lack of church discipline done in a very biblical way uh, with the purpose of offering people grace, that's, I, I look at church discipline like an opportunity to give folks grace, you know? Um, because we have not done that, we have left people feeling incredibly vulnerable. And I think they have a, I think there is some legitimacy in that. Yeah, that's good. Now, see, can you um, explain in some ways, just for for some yeah. of our listeners who may not know what church discipline is, because it is seems like it's such a foreign concept mm-hmm. um, for for many uh, people in America. Like, say for the example of uh, say somebody that's abusing somebody in the church, whether emotionally, you know, sexually, um, however, or even financially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how what what would that look like besides confronting that person and talking to them? you know, about their abuse and their sin, what, what, what other practical ways does that actually um, shake out? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think it manifests differently based on the kind of the denominational tradition or mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, the way that I've seen it operate actually at this point and, and, and a few different denominational traditions that tend to have a bit more reformed leanings to them um, is that it, it follows a biblical model of of bringing the sin to the attention of mm-hmm. the person who, you know, you believe is sinning. Right? So, um, and, and, and offering them the opportunity to repent. I think when we think about church discipline in our contemporary context, and the reason, and what I thought about as a younger person is I thought about this image of taking this uh, young girl who is pregnant and dragging her in the front of the church and, um, mm-hmm. exposing her by herself as if she got pregnant on her own, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and that being some perverse, and it is a very perverse form of church discipline. Church mm-hmm. discipline is really pursuing people for the purpose of, of giving them the opportunity to repent. Uh, one of my, one of my uh, favorite pastors that I was under for a, a few years, I remember going into that church mm-hmm. and there was a church discipline issue and it was involving a woman who, um, was teaching children at the church. And uh, a good friend of her had discovered that she was in a a relationship with a man who was married. Mm -hmm. And so the friend had came to the woman and said, like, you know, this is wrong. This is not who we are. Like, you know, repent, get out of this. What can I do to help you? The friend said, you know, just back up. Like, I got this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that friend then went on to church leadership and said, this is what I'm seeing. And we love her. Can somebody plead with her? And And what I witnessed was months of church leadership. Pleading with someone, mm-hmm. pleading with someone in love, uh, it's opening the word of God saying, please turn from this. Please turn from this. How can we walk with you as you turn from this? And it was a final, for this particular situation, it was the, the individual saying, you know what, just, just kind of leave me alone. Just, just leave me alone. It Really, it was mm-hmm. them turning their back <laughs> on the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in that sense, the church is not under um, a delusion of like, okay, this person is... Um, it, it teaches us how to rightly pray for this person, right? This is a person who is unrepentant and is not concerned about the collective witness of the church revealed through the scripture saying, this is a sin, don't go this way, right? right. Um, and as believers, when someone brings something to us uh, who's another believer, we are obligated, we submit one to each other, we're obligated to hear them, right? To hear them, when they say to us, I think, I think you're in sin, we, we're obligated to hear it. Now, they could be wrong. They could be, like, really wrong. Um, <laughs> but but if they're not wrong, <laughs> what a blessing that is to us. What a blessing it is. It's an opportunity for us to turn. So th- those are the examples of church discipline that I have witnessed. But I recognize that there are many examples where people have um, further abused people, right? Right. Um, by unnecessarily calling out their particular sin putting a spotlight on them. It is done with a great deal of discretion. Mm -hmm. Um, And the primary purpose is to demonstrate love and the pursuit of Christ towards his sheep. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the motivation that it needs to be done and the spirit that it needs to be done in anything else. um, Rightfully so is a perverse form of church discipline. That's good. Thank you so much for breaking that out breaking that down because I know it can be somewhat abstract, you know, for some people. So I hope that's you know, practical, um, for them. So, so now we, I'm glad we, we ended up kind of touching on the, maybe the legitimate reasons why, uh, people leave the church mainly Mm -hmm. because of our own witness in the church and how we've created a stumbling block for many people. Uh, but how about, what about the, the illegitimate reasons? So sometimes, you know, some people, cause we, we have to talk about both sides here, you know, so it's not, it ain't just, the, the church can be raggedy. We know this. Okay. You know, we know this. So, but there are those who, who want to, the Christian faith on their own terms. Yeah. who say, I am the captain of my soul and I am, mm-hmm. you know, going to um, uh, uh, determine how this relationship with God is going to work. So it's a much a very individualistic, you yeah. know, uh, a take, you know, on Christianity that says, you know what, I have a relationship with God. I don't need the local church. The church is raggedy. What would you say uh, to that person? Like, what, what, what's your perspective on that? I think that's really important as well for us to touch on. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I would say to that that person, um, they may not realize it, but 
we need each other more than we may, may be able to see right now. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. say that um, you, you need the local church. <laughs> you yeah. really, really do. You need the local church. If anything, you need the local church to remind yourself that you're not better than anybody else. Because I think right. when, I he- when I hear the argument of like, well, there's no church that, that's not a bunch of hypocrites that I don't want. I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, you probably a hypocrite too, boo boo. Yes, exactly. No, so, no, none of us are consistent. Yeah. None of us. Exactly. Like, we, are, we are just full of contradictions, right? Mm-hmm. So, right. Um, I would say you need the church. And here's the thing: if you are a blood, a blood bought believer, oh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That there are gifts that are that are within you, and those gifts are for the blessing of the local church. And so, you are denying. See, the gifts that are you, Michelle. The gifts that are you, Kimmy. Those gifts are for me. They are to mm-hmm. bless me. So I need people to go to church <laughs> so, they, so they can give up the goods. Come on. Amen. <laughs> yes. We need you. We really do need you. Like, you know, I, need, I need that. So I think about, I, I, so this is my belief, which is not particularly grounded in scripture. But I, I so that, that's my disclaimer right there, y'all. Okay. But, I do have a, but, I, but it's a sense of feeling like everything we need is in the house. But mm. the issue is that we're not always releasing people to exercise the gifts that they have, inviting them right. to do it. And so, yeah. um, so that, that's, I tend to think, you know, it, it's already there. The Lord has given us all that we need to glorify him, to point to him, um, and to show him off to others. So we need people who say that they're blood-bought believers, right? We need, right. they need us and we need them whether they know it or not. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. Good. Good. We How have about a- you, we have a number of, um, I think in part because my dad is, uh, well, he's retired now, but he was military, so we moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. And so my family has seen a number of different situations in which people will say they are departing a, a particular local body. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think different families will say different things. They'll per- depart a particular local body for all kinds of practical reasons, sometimes mm-hmm. spiritual reasons. Sometimes I, I appreciate the risk that Christina took and handled beautifully in talking about church discipline, because yeah. that's a touchy subject. Yeah. And people are like, whatever you do, don't speak on it. <laughs> but it's important to do so. And I, and I do think that sometimes people depart churches because of discipline gone bad. Or because mm-hmm. of discipline at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, that's true. You know, we don't have an option there. We have to deal with problems that, that are caused by sin. So the, the, the example that I'm going to bring up is one in which the pleading and the discussion, the dialogue they're trying to invite in surrounds people who present issues to their local bodies and then they give a timeline for repair mm-hmm. that is nowhere near fixed or it's something that cannot be fixed when you bring a problem or a pain that you have been hiding for months or years. And I know that that seems like a really nuanced example, but so often we find that our brothers and sisters who bottle their issues, who talk only amongst their friend groups who all agree with them already and yet perceive that they must not go to their church leadership or to whomever it is who has offended them. I think we end up with people departing churches illegitimately because there is that legitimate side and we need to Mm -hmm. be very clear that -hmm. there are many people who bring problems to church leadership, to people who've offended and hurt them, people whose gifts have been sitting at the altar for years because of the prolonged God-given patience that they're practicing. But then there are folks who feel that their prolonged patience should be enough without making the choice to have the awkward and sometimes heart-wrenching conversations of saying, I have a serious problem. And so a number of us in the church refuse to walk in the reality that no matter how a person responds to you, God is calling you to speak on something that is bringing you pain. 
And so people will bring issues to church leadership after having suffered and languished in them for months or years. And they will demand that a full turnaround occur uh, within 24 to 48 hours. And so we have departures happening in a lot of ways because um, people's pain is so prolonged. But the solution that they're demanding is rapid. Mm-hmm. And I, I've experienced that and I've watched legitimate pains and pains that come from sheer self-centeredness and the yeah. presupposition that how someone thinks is the only way to think. So I've watched both the crazy pain, the self-centered pain <laughs> and the completely legitimate you have a case here pain occur. And I think it's important to say that no matter when or how someone leaves a church, it ain't nobody's prerogative or right to judge them. I don't have a I don't have a right to judge the people that I disagree with for leaving the church. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the church is losing people because we don't communicate with each other. We're losing people because many of us choose to only suffer with those who have the same story of suffering and we do have to walk a very fine line and this gonna get me in some trouble but I, but we do have to walk a very fine line in my line of work especially as an african-american woman who sits in a 90 plus percent majority white church i have to walk a fine line in choosing how i will do the it's not my job to educate you thing or how I will do the hard work of going to someone and saying, you have every opportunity to shield your children from racism. You have the privilege of turning something off and of choosing to not raise your kids to understand bias. But I will never have that option. And I want you to know that when you live and speak in the name of Jesus, as if everyone has that option, you are not honoring God's deliberate diversity, as our brother Jamar puts it. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, I am doing the thing that the very movement that has made me is telling me not to do. I'm educating a white person. <laughs> and, you know, the movement would say, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. You shouldn't have to go through that pain. You need to get out of there, girl. <laughs> right. But these white folks, are related to me by the blood of Jesus. And I don't have that. I don't have too many choices. I'm going to send my kids down to children's church and have them sit at the feet of people who don't understand bias and privilege. Oh no. Oh no. I have neither the choice to sit and presume that all white people around me hate me and want to see me dead. I don't have the right to presume that. Yeah. And then go to my session of elders and say, y'all better fix this or else I'm walking. Mm-hmm. Neither do the saints who are struggling and in peril because they believe that um, justice centered or missional churches all want to simply see everyone go stand in the street and get arrested, but they never mm-hmm. want to see anyone disciple, laid hands on and prayed over. Mm-hmm. None of us has the right to presume that the thing we feel the church lacks is the thing that the church must be set against. Mm-hmm. Now, We have a responsibility to one another as family to go to each other and say, I see a void here and I will not sit and stew on this void, nor will I require you to absorb all of the knowledge and the perspective. Again, that vantage point theory that Christina brought up some episodes ago. Mm -hmm. I love it because I will not force it upon my newly non-ignorant white friends Mm -hmm. to absorb my entire vantage point in a matter of hours or else I'm walking and I can't stand with you. I can stand side by side with a anti-Christian humanist that I completely disagree with theologically. I can stand side by side and demand that a debtor's prison be shut down, but I can't go to the table that the Lord has laid before us in the presence of our own enemies. And I can't look my brother and sister in the face and say, it hurts me that you didn't respond to the Charleston massacre the same way I did. Mm -hmm. We got a problem. 
And so those, I think, are some of the different reasons for departing the church, where we're actually missing an opportunity to partake in the struggle that God is calling all of us to by remembering that each of us with our different God-given perspectives are part of that phrase that Christina laid out. Everything we need is in the house, but we're hoarding it out of fear, out of presumption, out of despising. All we need is up in this house right here because God ordained it that way. That's his Mm -hmm. providence Mm -hmm. that has given each of us a different kind of uh, life experience wisdom. But if we hold it so tightly because we think that it's going to rub off or we think that somebody can influence the black off of us if we go to a church with too many white people. I'm sorry. I didn't know that was possible. I became the blackest I ever been being surrounded by white people. I don't know about y'all. That's true. I ain't never been blacker than when I'm in a room full of white people. And I think it's important for us to remember that it is those things that God has given us that we are to humbly present to our brothers and sisters who have never thought of or seen them before. Mm-hmm. That's good. That is good. Thank you so much, ladies. I think that this was this conversation was full of just really good insights, you know, on the church, such wisdom. Um, and, and thank you for sharing why you choose to remain committed to her, um, in spite of all her flaws, you know, uh, that's, I think, I hope this this will be helpful. And, and, and to our listeners, uh, we want to thank you for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Uh, let's keep the conversation going. If you feel comfortable doing so use the hashtag truth table and tweet us your thoughts about why you choose to remain in the church or why you left the church. And if this episode challenged you in some regard, uh, and you feel comfortable um, letting us know uh, if you have maybe that maybe you're reconsidering um, your departure from the church. We would love to really hear that. Uh, so tweet us that uh, your 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 thoughts on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truths Table, or email us your thoughts uh, at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Our producer for this episode is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. And special thanks and love goes out to the Reformed African American Network and Pottery Studios. We have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth's Table.